Is there really such a thing as a narcissist magnet? Welcome to Crime Over Cocktails. I'm Tiffany, your host, and today I'm with my guest, Dana. Hi, I'm Dana. Dana S. Diaz. I am an author of a newly published book called Gasping for Air, The Stranglehold of Narcissistic Abuse, and it is the first in a trilogy. Um, I'm working on the prequel and the sequel um, because I tend to be a narcissist magnet, so I have some stories to share. Yes, I have also been a narcissist magnet. <laughs> I oh, can goodness. understand. But tell me, where does your story begin? My story actually begins um, when I was about a year old. You know, I was born to a teenage mother. I was a, a teenage pregnancy. My mother did not want me. And, and it was, it's still to this day, I'm going to be 48 this year. And it's openly discussed as a Dana was never wanted kind of a thing. But she, when I was about a year old, she met who she eventually married and who she is still married to. And he is the, I mean, I always said he was the king of all narcissists. He's your typical overt, arrogant, look at me, look at everything I have, even though I probably screwed somebody over to get it. But here is everything I am. And, and he thinks there's value in, in status symbols and in money. And he perceives that as success. But, you know, at the end of the day, I was not his biological child. I did not fit into their idea of us being a family. I was just a burden. And so, I mean, it, obviously, I don't remember what happened when I was one year old and he entered our lives. But, you know, my mother was very emotionally detached from me. You know, that I could always sense. But it wasn't until he came in the picture and started getting really comfortable. Like I would, it, it was always when I was left alone with him um, that he would start getting comfortable saying, you know, your mother never wanted you. I shouldn't have to pay for another man's child. Nobody's ever going to love you. You're a burden on us. You know, all this, this rhetoric that, even as little as I was, I knew it was wrong. I mean, it feels awful when somebody says those things to you. And I would run to my mother and tell her, and she would go running to him and saying, why are you saying that to Dana? And he would say, oh, I never said that. I never did. So that's when the gaslighting began. But back then I was a kid, number one. I didn't know what a narcissist was, and I didn't know what gaslighting was. But it was all happening to me. It's far back as I can remember and continues to this day, even though I have had no contact with them. So, you know, it just never ends. I always say narcissists are like cockroaches. You just cannot kill them. They just, they just keep coming out. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> yes, it absolutely is. So yeah. So for me, when I say lifelong experience, I may not have a formal education, you know, I, I minored in psychology in college, but I don't have, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a doctor. I don't have a PhD, but I believe that having this lifelong experience, you know, four plus decades of, you know, being the target of multiple narcissists, I, I have a pretty 
good edge on on what it is and how it works and and it's awful it's awful it really is and it's just a perfect example that when you deal with something like that so young in your life you tend to look for the same types of people without even realizing that that's what you're doing. Exactly. Because that's a question. So the book that I have published um, already that's out now, it is about my 25 year long relationship with my (laughs) ex-husband. That was something, something enough to write a book about. Um, But that was the thing that Everybody has asked me in personal life, on other podcasts I've been on, other interviews with the radio and whatever, as well, if you were raised by a narcissist, how did you not see it? Well, number one, I was raised by an overt narcissist, whereas my ex was a covert. And, you know, just the word alone, there's a difference in how they come off. They're doing the same thing. It's just one does it you know, very directly and in your face. And, you know, my ex and being the covert, it was more insidious and it was more kind of hidden in his own self-esteem issues and insecurities. So it wasn't as blatant, but I agree with you. I think that even though I knew how I was raised was wrong and, and I mean, at one point authorities, you know, child services were involved. It was a whole thing, but I think in my life, I mean, I even remember in high school, I'm I'm sorry, I go off on tangents when I talk, you'll get used to it. Um, (laughs) In high school, there were some like nice guys that asked me out and I'm thinking, what do they want with me? Like, and I didn't know what to do with them. Like, you know, like, what do you do with that? I only knew being mistreated. I only knew what to do with a guy who would tell me I didn't need to eat the piece of apple pie on a date because I'd get fat or, you know, whatever, or calling me names and that, I don't want to say I was turned on by it, but who doesn't like a bad boy, right? I mean, everybody likes a bad boy to an extent, but I mean, I, they had to be bad. (laughs) Otherwise, I I just didn't know what to do with it. I had I was just ill-equipped. I think when you grow up in, in with trauma, chaos, whatever, you learn to associate that with love. And that's the end of the day. You think that's love because I can say now, you know, I am married again. Never thought I would be, but you know, somebody that I had already known for a while, we just realized we always liked each other a little more than we could. And now we can, so we do, but He is, I call him my gentle giant because he is quiet, which scares me. I, quiet (laughs) people scare me. And he's very just calm. I mean, you want to talk about the ultimate nice guy. That's my husband now. And I mean, even now to this day, you know, I mean, I have processed everything I've been through in my childhood and in my previous marriage, but I still sometimes don't know what to do with it. You know, it's a really strange thing. I don't want him to mistreat me and I will never tolerate anyone mistreating me again. But sometimes it's just like, you know, I I find myself wanting to stir things up a little, you know, and I get a little moody or feel a certain way or, you know, and it just, he doesn't react to it and he doesn't, it's not a thing. And so it's, it kind of balances me out. But I think it's that, you know, four decades of trauma 
creeping back in once in a while, like, okay, this is too good. The bomb's going to drop. Let's just sabotage this before it has a chance to be anything else or before I feel anything more. And, you know, then the chaos ensues, except that my husband isn't a chaotic person. So then I'm like standing there looking like a fool and like, okay, all right. I could say I honestly could completely identify with that because my fiance is the complete opposite of all the tools and assholes that I have dated beforehand. (laughs) And like when he would give me compliments, it made me uncomfortable. (laughs) What are you doing? Like it was nice, but at the same time, you're kind of like, I'm used to hearing I'm fat, ugly and gross. So I don't really understand what you're saying. And still to this day, I self-sabotage our relationship because I don't know why, (laughs) but I totally get it. Why I think, I mean, if you're like me, you need to, when you come from trauma, you don't know what to do with it's not chaotic. Sometimes it's, I mean, I've even heard that there's physiologic because I'm very psychosomatic. My body is very responsive to emotions and environment. But I think you're, you know, for me, at least my body got used to some of the stress hormones and everything to the point where it was almost addictive, where when I'm starved for too long, it's been good for too long. Like, honey, it's coming. It's like the period, you know, like it's just like once a month, we got to get a little, you know, you, you need a little fix. It's like it, it sounds, I mean, we're laughing about it, but the reality of it is, you know, at least you and I, and hopefully many people become self-aware enough after all this, that we are with people who understand us. And, and like, I know for me, it's gotten better. Like I can stop myself But I know like the first time I just, I don't even, I honestly, it was something over a bottle of ketchup. I mean, it was that dumb, but I had to create some, I had to stir some shit up and my husband, he just put his elbow up, leaned again. And he just like, like he was just waiting for me to be done. And I'm, you know, all riled up. And then he looked, I looked at him and he's just smiling at me, like just amused. And I'm like, I'm just like straightening up and like, that didn't just happen, you know, (laughs) but we, we hopefully will get better as time goes on. But, you know, again, like for me, it's been, I don't know how long it's been for you, but I'm going to be 48. So to have been with among narcissists for, let's say 45, 46 years of my life, it, you know, it's going to take a little time, but it, it it's helping. I definitely who you associate with and surround yourself with helps, but they also get the brunt of some of the triggers and some of the things that resurface every once in a while. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, just the fact that if you can have a partner who understands and is willing to like, just let you be you like he says, you know, crazy but I love you (laughs) and he loves my crazy so it's like all right I know you're crazy but you know I I love you I mean my husband's family even I mean I've known some of them almost 16 17 years and some of them actually they had an intervention to stop him from marrying me literally (gasps) oh yeah it was horrifying that'll be in the sequel to to the book that's out that's a fun one it's pretty juicy so, I mean, you want to talk about being horrified and they were saying because I, I'm crazy and I, I'm, 
I was going to kill myself and all this stuff. And I'm like, honestly, I've had reason to kill myself my whole life. And I didn't get out of my last relationship, you know, and divorce my husband and go through the violent aftermath with my ex and go through the court and all that just to off myself. But at the same time, I thought, wait a second, you know, like, I know I have issues, but how about having some compassion for people that have not had like the beaver cleaver life? Like, you know, I'm glad that they did. And they had a loving mother and father who wanted them and loved them very much. And they're very tight knit. But it it was a very hurtful thing to have people that I had gotten along with for so long suddenly turn on me. Um, and decide that I wasn't worthy of being part of their family. Um, it's it's hurtful. It's offensive. And I don't think that I, I hate to say I think a lot of people think that way. You know, over my life, I've been told, oh, you need to get help or you're crazy or all these things, all this rhetoric. And it's like, yeah, I have issues because of what people have done to me, but I'm not the one that needs help. You want to you know, want to know who needs help are the psychopaths that are still walking around Never mind my ex-husband who became violent. There was a knife. There was a gun. There was a crowbar. There were all kinds of things that happened with him. Yet, where is he? Walking free. Walking free amongst us. Not to, you know, wow. I, and not to mention, I mean, even when I was a kid, we go back to my childhood. Beaten, strangled, slapped, thrown downstairs. All the things that happened. The verbal abuse. Child services was called. What happened? Nothing. Because neighbors and their co-workers, everyone said, oh, they're wonderful people. They would never do that. They wouldn't, huh? So I got sent right back to them. So the system is just jacked up. I mean, there needs to be some criminal consequences for what people are doing. Um, you know, we if our kids are being bullied at school, there's consequences. I don't think they're just enough, but there's consequences, but you go out, you know, you're over 18, you're in the real world, then it becomes, oh, somebody's mean to you. Oh, you're just being too sensitive. Or maybe you're the one with problems. You need help. If you need to talk to somebody, you can't handle it. You're not tough enough. How about some people are just assholes and, and they should have consequences for what they're doing to other people? Well, and that's another reason why a lot of them reoffend because they see that nothing's been done and they think I'm untouchable. Yeah. They often it's, are it's, though, because how many times, I don't know if you've had this experience, but how many times has it happened to me where I have been, let's say, verbally assaulted, so to speak, by one of these narcissists in my life? And there are witnesses and they turn around, they walk away, they didn't see anything. Or people that know about, you know, I mean, like, even now that now that this book is out, there are people that know us personally that have come forward and said, Oh, well, it's not right that you said that stuff about him. Well, it's not right that he did that stuff to me. I'm sorry. But when I'm laying in bed at night, and he's shooting a gun outside my bedroom window, and I think I'm going to die, I think he is going to kill me. That's not okay. That's not just like a little dispute or an argument between an ex-wife and an ex-husband. It is straight up wrong. So I'm not going to stand here and be shamed for speaking up about it. That should have been attempted murder. It should have been. And do you want to know what happened that night is the police came. There were six squad cars at my house and he was not taken away. 
Mind you, this was after our divorce. He had not wanted the house, so the house was in my name. I was the only one on the title and the deed. He had waited until our son had gone and and slept over somewhere else. They did not take this man away. My ex-husband... And he had a gun. That he shot a gun on his hand. My neighbors witnessed it. My neighbors even came forward and... (laughs) admitted that he had been over there not long before that talking to them they <laughs> talking to them basically about how he was planning to murder me he wanted me dead they just assumed he was just drunk cuz he was always drunk and that he was just rambling nonsense but when they heard the gunshots so that is on the police come and they leave him there not his property it is not his legal property. It is mine. And I'm going to add a little more to this for those who haven't read the book. We lived in, I don't want to say it's completely rural, but we had four a little four-acre farm. So, I mean, gravel roads in the so-called country. Yes, we have neighbors. There, there's plenty of houses around us, but everybody has, you know, some amount of acreage. So this is not like in a town or in a city. So to for the police to tell me, okay, well, we can't do anything. We got your side of the story. He said he didn't do it. He's obviously drunk, but we can't arrest him just for being drunk. It's disturbing. Being so drunk and using a firearm. Exactly. <laughs> and I said to them, so what do I do? This is my home. I was trying to sleep. It's the middle of the night now. What am I supposed to do? And they're like, well, that's up to you. I said, well, I'm sure hell not staying here if you're going to leave him here. And he refused to leave the property. So I said, well, I'm leaving then. And they actually, you know, they wouldn't arrest him. But the funny thing is, I didn't even ask them on their own volition. The cops decided that three of them would stay with him so that he to make sure he didn't follow me. And three escorted me two in front and one behind to where I said I was going to go spend the night. So you won't arrest him. You won't file any charges against him. But you're obviously concerned for my safety because you're escorting me and making sure he doesn't go anywhere. (laughs) So like that makes no sense to me. And I am thankful I'm standing here and that I can laugh and joke and, and even tell the story. But how many not just women, it happens to men. How many people does this happen to that they're not here to tell their side of the story or that it was made to look like maybe they they did take their lives or that, you know, whatever it is. It's sickening. And what do we do about it? Oh, our system is so screwed. It really is. People get more time for having like a dime bag of weed on them than they do for like molesting a child. Like we need to get our fucking priorities straight because we are filling up the jails with people who probably just need rehab and they need, you know, or put them somewhere to get treatment for whatever it is that they're going through. Leave that for the pieces of shit that we don't need walking around among us. I agree with you. We can talk about the little petty crime, well, or what's considered petty crime, but you're absolutely right. Like you bring up, you know, somebody's caught with weed. I don't care if somebody smokes weed, you know, to each his own. I know there's people against it. It's a political issue, but 
Lord, I've never known anybody who smokes weed and goes stabbing or shooting people. They get a little hungry. Maybe it'll stimulate the economy a little bit. I don't know. You know, <laughs> seriously, though, I mean, why? Why, like you said, are our are, are tax dollars paying to let these people, they're not hurting anybody. You know, are they, you know, do I want my kids smoking it all the time? Or I don't know, teach his own. And I know a lot of people that do, what they do is not my business, but they're not harming anybody. We could all use the chill a little bit. I, I, if I could smoke, I probably should have a gummy or I don't know. But, <laughs> you know, it's just, it is sick though, because with all the experiences that I've been through, I remember I have all these like Dana-isms that I have passed on to my son over the years and to whoever might. I might catch in a conversation. I just have to pass my wisdom on like Yoda or something. But I've always said that it's, you know, there's a few things. It's like life is not complicated. People make it complicated. That's one of my big ones. And I just feel like with everything I have been through, you know, the other one I've told my son is like, you're walking around in life and you don't know the people that are around you. And that's where part of the complication comes in. You're walking through the gas station and through the Walmart, and you don't know. I mean, if you're passing by my ex-husband, you'd have no idea that he had done all these awful, violent, angry things to me and that he wanted me dead and it sounds like he was plotting to kill me. But he's walking around freely. He never had to suffer consequences. And I see, you know, I even see people that we know mutually hiring him to do this or that. And it just, it's so hard for me because I'm not that person. I'm not going to go be like, oh, you shouldn't, you know, I stay out of it, keep my mouth shut. But how many people am I hiring to contractors or who am I going anywhere near out in public walking by at the mall or like I said, at the Walmart, whatever. It's, It's just, there's too many people out there that really shouldn't be. Oh, absolutely. We're picking and choosing the wrong ones. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. So you said he also attacked you, though, before with like a crowbar and everything? Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of stuff that happened over the years. That was a scary night. Um, gosh, I want to say my son was two or three. I kind of measure time by how old my son was. But Yeah, my ex was, he drank a lot. And when he drank, he just, he was not a fun drunk. Like some of us, like I get a little silly and giddy when I'm drunk. I'm a fun one. But, you know, I don't get to the, what I say drunk, like, I mean, he would drink, 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 drink to the point where he couldn't even walk. Um, And he'd black out. He just, and it would get exhausting, but he would also get very aggressive because, you know, there were times where he was on pain medications, pretty hardcore ones that you're not supposed to take with alcohol. And he did. He would tell everybody, though, you know, typical narcissist, he would tell people, oh, I have a prescription, but I don't want to take them. They're just there in case I need them, but I'm toughing it out because I don't want to get addicted. But then he's at home popping them and and drinking alcohol and just, uh, it got scary because a lot of people don't read. Like I would like be one of those panicky wives reading the side effects. And a lot of them, people don't realize there's a lot of, um, they say aggressive and hostile behavior is actually a side effect. 
So that that definitely was our experience. So the night of the crowbar, he was just starting to scare me. When you're with somebody that long who who exhibits this kind of behavior regularly, you sometimes can't even explain it to people. You can just sense it. You know it. You, you just feel something's going to happen. Um, and and he he was starting to scare me. And and my son, I mean, he was on my hip. I like I said, I want to say he was around two, always at night. And so I dead bolted the door and and locked him out, which was a bold move on my part because. When you're with an abusive narcissist or anybody in any domestic situation where there's some tension, you know, you don't want to aggravate the person who is um, acting aggressively. But I just was that scared that I deadbolted, locked him out. And he took a crowbar to the door trying to break in to the house, but they were glass doors. And I was so afraid he was getting to the point where the glass might have broken, although he never made a gesture or movement to break the actual glass itself. But I was still afraid because of the way the door, I mean, that the frame of it and the door jam where he was just getting it just right to where it was starting. You could see the glass kind of starting to flex a little. It was weird, but I just didn't want all that glass coming in on me and my son. And so, in a, you know, it's one of those things you don't want to open the door, but you don't want to keep them out either and aggravate the situation anymore. So I'd already pissed him off enough, but I had all these things and, and my main priority was my son. And I was just like, okay, let me just unlock the door. So I quick unlocked the door and he came in and raised that crowbar over my head. And right when he swung down, I was able to duck just in time. But I mean, I could have been dead that night. Why didn't you call the cops when he was breaking through the door? <laughs> I never called the cops ever. Ever. I, I. Do you regret that? See, my hesitation, I always tell people another Danaism, there's never a maybe or an in-between. It's either yes or no. Do I regret it? I think it would have been better if I would have called the cops earlier, but I mean, I should have just left earlier. There was an opportunity for me to leave very, very early on, and, and I chose not to because I thought I was doing the right thing by you thought staying you're gonna with save him. him. Kid. <laughs> yeah, and now I feel like that's one thing I regret is I regret not getting me and my kid out of there when we had the chance because I think my son would have been better off being out of there at two years old as opposed to 17 years old because then he had to experience all of that firsthand every single day and, you know, sometimes exhibits some behaviors that worry me a little bit because of what he saw. But why didn't I call the cops? So the main reason is fear. Because I mean, when somebody does that to you, and like I said, there were many, many other things that happened that maybe were less violent, but still, the threat was always there. Um, things like he would lay, he, he loved watching movies and TV. He laid around a lot, but he was always drunk. So it went hand in hand, but 
he had a little drawer in the coffee table. I mean, right next to where, like right next to where like his arm and his hand were. And he kept a really scary looking knife in there, like a little switch blade and knives obviously terrify me. And he knows that because he's the reason why they terrify me. And it was always kept there. So that's why it's hard to say, like, you know, sometimes people would say, like, if it was so bad, it was that bad, but it was these little things like that knife. He never took that knife and pulled it on me, but I knew it was there. So if I stepped out of line or did anything that would poke the sleeping bear, so to speak, I was afraid of what the reaction would be. So to keep peace, not just for me, but for our kid, in my head at that time, I thought it was best. Because this, the, the other thing is that, you know, that's a common thing I get asked. And I think a lot of people do is, why didn't you just leave? Why didn't you just leave? Well, it's not as easy. You know, just like when people say, oh, if he cheated on me, I'd be. Yeah, you say that, but guess what? Guess what? <laughs> you don't. When you have a house and you have a kid and you love his dad and his mom, like they're your own parents and his sister's your best friend and, you know, your kids in a school and getting along with other kids and your friends with other kids, you know what I mean? It's not just, oh, let me up and walk away. And, you know, most people that, well, I shouldn't say most, I'm not going to generalize a lot in our situation. And I think a lot of people can relate We didn't have money for me to just go off and get my own apartment. And he controlled it anyway. He controlled the money. I was not allowed on his checking account for many, 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 many years. I was not allowed on his checking account. His money was his money. But he wanted me to be a stay-at-home mom. You see, so there's the conflict there, which is that's a typical narcissistic thing. They want so much control over you that they make sure, because who was my family? His family. I mean, granted, my mother and, and stepfather, I mean, it <laughs> it was better not having contact. And even though we went back and forth over the years and we're no contact now, we had, we had had intermittent times of no contact back then. But I mean, I wouldn't have gone to them. I did say something to my mother a couple of times and she would give me these, oh, well, you know, just don't upset him, but you made a commitment and married him. So you should, you know, so it's like, thanks. Okay. So you want me to be like you, I get it. All right. So, and then there's the other aspects, you know, for me, I born and raised Catholic and you get it in your head that you're not supposed to divorce, you know? And I thought like, I'm not sure that I'd go to hell for divorcing, but I struggled with that for years because Again, I was born and raised in the Catholic Church, and not to say people can say whether it's right or wrong, but it's what I was raised to believe. So it was a struggle for me to figure out if God wanted me to suffer like this and potentially be killed, or if God would be okay with me leaving and living a better life. And honey, you are already in hell. <laughs> that's yeah, I know, but. I'm just saying from the inside of that situation, it wasn't just, you know, all these, why didn't I call the police? Why didn't I leave? Why didn't I do a lot of things? Why didn't I take my kid? If it was now, 
being the Dana that I am now, I would have taken that baby. I would have walked. He could have the car. He could have my damn clothes. He could have all the shit and the money and everything. I would have walked a hundred goddamn miles by myself with my son. We would have found some place. Somebody would have fed us. A shelter would take us in. We would have been fine. But then in that situation, that's the thing that people don't understand about narcissists. They are... So, it, it's it's hard to explain unless you've been in the situation, but they just create your reality for you. Not only do they tell you what your reality is, even if that's not your experience, they somehow gaslight you enough to make you feel that way, but they literally control who you see, who you talk to, who you don't talk to. I mean, mine didn't like me reading books on the internet. He didn't like if my phone so much as buzzed, if I had to go to the the Dollar General for cat litter or cat food, God forbid, because I was gone too long and screwing somebody. And if I went to church on Sunday, I was screwing the 70 some year old priest. It was always something. So you learn because you don't want that conflict. Everyone wants to live a nice, peaceful, happy life, right? You just learn to just go along with things for the sake of whatever your million reasons are that you feel you need to stay. But my primary one was my son. I I honestly believed I was doing the right thing by keeping my son with his biological mother and father, regardless of the relationship that we had. And I'm here to tell you that I am a divorced Catholic and my I'm alive. I have not gone to hell yet. Um, (laughs) I am still standing. God has not struck me down. Nobody in my church has like shunned me or, or, you know, they're happy. Even my priests are like, thank God. Thank God you're out and thank God you're safe and thank God you have found love. So it's okay for anybody that might need to hear that. I get the struggle though. It, you know, it, there's a lot that goes on in your mind, but now the other part of that is that as my son got older, he actually out of nowhere one day, sometime in his early preteen years, he point blank said to me, we were driving along in the car, I'll never forget it. Um he point blank said to me, I I know you and dad are going to get divorced one day, but he said I need you to promise me that you won't divorce him until I leave for college. And I said, how come? And he said, because dad's going to make it a living hell and I don't want to be here to live through it. So I promised. And you know what? We almost made it. We almost made it. But got to the point where I just, I had to make the best choice for us finally. So. Oh, for sure. Maybe he didn't know how bad it was getting because, I mean, to ask someone to stay in a situation that's very volatile. It's just not good for anybody. No, it's not. But when you're a mother and your kid is begging you because he knows it's going to be hell and you know it's going to be, (laughs) you know, it's going to be hell plus something else, you honor it because you don't want to make your kids suffer anymore. And so I just, we just got to roll. Like every year when, when the school year was over, you know, I had a friend that would be like, how many more years left? You know, she we'd be like counting down every year when that school year came. It's like, God, 
<laughs> and we had one more to go. We were so close, but it just didn't happen. So, but he's all right. He's okay. He's good. Well, I would say instead of going to hell, you were blessed because of who you met after you moved on. Yes. Well, in a lot of ways. And honestly, <laughs> my church came through the day after my divorce. I brought my divorce papers to the to the church and they didn't ask. Normally, the annulment process is very long and difficult and, and trying not for this girl. <laughs> no joke. It took about five minutes. They filled out the paperwork. They didn't ask any questions. It was 40 bucks and bam, it was done. <laughs> so nice. it's, like, it's like it didn't even happen, except it did. And and right. again, we can laugh and, and all that. But yes, I am better off. I am glad that, you know, and again, that was not the only reason, but I am glad that However it happened, however it worked, we got out and we're okay. I mean, it's still, it got worse. All this, you know, the the knife stuff and the gun stuff came after the divorce even because, you know. Uh, he you didn't know. get his way. Well, he did and he didn't. So the typical narcissist that he is, he felt that I had changed in some way that there was definitely like, I just, I wasn't even trying with him anymore. I just didn't care anymore. I mean, he would say stuff and I would just be like, whatever. Like I, I wouldn't even look at him half the time. Like it's just, you get to a point where you've been worn down so much. Like I was done, done, done. I'd been done a million times before, but I was officially like, I'm, I was, I was living in the basement and I mean, like he knew I was getting ready to leave him, even though I hadn't said it. So what did he do while we were, I was at work and I, I forget if my son was at work or school. Cause it was like early summer, right about when school lets out, but we came home and all kinds of stuff was gone. Like he, he was gone. He was just not there. And came to find out that he moved out in the middle of the day. But the irony was, is that he did it just to show me he was leaving me that I couldn't leave him. And then he ran around telling people that I had harassed him and that I was this awful, you know, basically, you know how they say narcissists accuse you of everything they've done. Yeah. Yes. It was all that I had stolen from him. I was cheating. I was a gold digger, which that one made me laugh because I'm like a gold digger. What money you haven't worked in four and a half years? What money <laughs> could I possibly have stolen from you or been trying to dig from? I mean, really. And then the other amusing part of this that we can laugh at now is that, again, we had a little farmette and. <laughs> This is so stupid. So we had like the house we lived in, but there had been an in-law house that the previous owners had built. But my ex was not very good at maintaining things because he just didn't. So um, the pipes had exploded like our first winter there, the plumbing. So it was all torn apart, gutted. But that's where he had moved. Because after my son and I got home that day and we're like, he's gone. At first I was like, 
I wasn't sure. It's kind of like when a cat walks in a room and is looking around with its ears back, like, what's going on here? Like, I'm sensing something. (laughs) But then I realized that honestly, it was like, I should have been upset and I should have been shocked or something. But it was like, and I don't have to fight on getting him the hell out of here, even though I would have gladly, I had already been looking for places, but I wasn't sure my son would come with me and I wasn't leaving without him. You know, again, more reasons. Why do people stay? I wasn't going to leave without my kid. And he was old enough that I couldn't just like carry him out of the house, kicking and scraping 17 year old boys that are taller than you. It just doesn't work that way, <laughs> you know? And I, I honestly wasn't sure he knew who his dad was. He knew, he knew the situation, but there's his perspective in that too. That's still his dad. And he wasn't just going to abandon him because I, had apparently raised my son right and he had a loving heart and didn't want to abandon his dad like his dad had abandoned us and neglected us and treated us like crap. So it's complicated. But yeah, he ended up moving. He made a show of it later that afternoon when he had seen we were both home. He made a show of coming in the house all angry and stomping up the stairs and then he stomps back down the stairs like two seconds later with like a shirt or something it was something like a pair of jeans or a shirt some piece of clothing because he had to have it I guess but he never said a word and then he walked out and we're just watching him and we watched him walk into the other house on our property I'm like oh lord like and and sadly my son looked at me and you know what he said he said, just go get him, mom. He's just doing this for attention. And that's when I was, I just said, no, I, I said, I I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't, the games every day, the games, the abuse, verbal, physical, financial, there was sexual. I can't do it anymore. And you don't have to, there's no reason why we feel like we have to put up with this because there are other people out there. Because another thing a narcissist will do is make you feel like nobody else is going to want you. You know, you suck and nobody's going to want you. You're a single mom. Who's going to want that? And you start to believe it. And then you're like, oh, my God, I'm never going to get anybody else again. I'm going to die alone. I'm going to have 50 cats, you know, like whatever. But that's not the truth. That is not the truth. you You have got that pinned down exactly right. So I had, I still had my stepfather, the overt narcissist who hated my ex-husband. They hated each other. That was the irony. Here's the two narcissists who are trying. It's like they were fighting for control over me because my stepfather who had told me my entire childhood and during all my teenage years that nobody would ever love me and I was never good enough. There was not a damn thing in this world that I could do. I could win the Nobel Peace Prize right now and it would not be good enough. I could tell him I'm marrying Jesus and it would not be good enough. Nothing will ever be good enough. So I have this man telling me what a piece of crap my ex-husband is to the point where my mother and stepfather made rooms in their house. I mean, they have a, he's a narcissist, so they have a, the largest house, you know, that they could possibly buy. And it's very grand and beautiful, but we don't like to acknowledge that because I won't give into that crap. But 
There was a room for me and a room for my son next to each other with a shared bathroom and a little living room. And it was all furnished and pictures and everything up, even pictures of us and our family. Like we could have our own, just come and live with us, just come and live with us. And I thought, why the hell? I I even said one day over my dead body, am I leaving that to come back into your house with my kid, no less? (laughs) Like. I couldn't wait till I was 18 to get away from y'all. I'm not coming back with my kid. It's not happening. And it wasn't a pride thing because if I had had loving parents, you better believe I would have left my ex with my kids so much sooner. And I know my mother and stepfather would have taken care of me, but taking care of me in the way that they wanted to and that suddenly they were these loving parents who look at, we have rooms for you. Come live with us. I didn't buy it. I didn't buy it. I wasn't going to go from that one controlling me to to now being under their control because that's exactly what it would have been. It's all and and again there's all this other stuff that I can't possibly relay on this, you know, 1 hour or whatever podcast, but I mean, imagine what it felt like to be me getting hit with all of this all at the same time. I'm worried about my kid. Want to make nice life nice for him. I'm worried about my health and my safety. My ex-husband's a drunk. He's a narcissist. I never know from second to second. We have all this stuff going on. Then I got my mother telling me I should stay because I'm committed. Stepdad's telling me the guy's a piece of shit. You got to leave. Come live with us. And all of that that's going on. And then in the midst of that, I'm working and there's everybody has work stress and there's life stress and kids stuff with your kids at school and whatever. It was awful. I, I was so miserable. And no, I didn't talk to because what was I going to say to somebody? What was I going to say? Not to mention, that's why victims of narcissistic abuse or any abuse don't talk. Because, you know, when I was a kid and I would get enough courage to say something to somebody because there were a couple times I tried, you know, then it got back to my mother and stepfather and they always had an excuse. Oh, she's making stuff up to get attention. You know, you know, how kids are, it was something wrong with me. It never went anywhere. Nobody ever did it. Child services didn't even do anything. You know, the police went to the police when I was 16 after I was, I had strangle marks, hand marks on my neck. Now, they're nice people. It felt like I, I, in my book that will be coming out about all that, I liken it to like the movie Annie. Like I remember like, was it Mrs. Hannigan's, uh, was it her brother and the Lily and, and Rooster? And they were sitting there pretending to be Annie's parents, trying to claim her. And, oh, you know, putting on the act that's literally, that was literally like that entire scene was my mother and stepfather. Like, oh, yeah, we have, we're these poor parents of this difficult girl and she ran away. And that doesn't explain the hand marks on my neck. I self-inflicted those, by the way, just in case y'all are wondering. Um, no, I did not. That was obviously they did that, but that was their stories that I self-inflicted. So it's very frustrating. I couldn't tell anybody about my ex because he was already running around discrediting me anyway. And I had found later in my life, you know, my stepfather and my mother were doing the same thing. They were telling family all these stories about how I'm difficult and I have 
all these mental problems and they just don't know what to do with me. So if she says anything to you or says anything like this, she's the one self-inflicting the wounds. You know, they, they come up with the narrative before you have a chance to say anything so that when you do have the courage to say something, people already, they're sitting there thinking, oh crap, this is one of those crazy stories they said she was going to tell me. So you just don't say anything. But how effed up is that? It's just such a shame. Oh, it's really fucked up. (laughs) It really Really fucked up. It really is. So I do get offended when people pull the, I mean, I know people say it all the time. Oh, you're crazy or she's crazy or whatever. Yeah, I went through some serious trauma. I am not crazy. I think I'm actually, I think I've handled it pretty well. I have a college degree. I have a successful, you know, I, I published a book. I've been successful in, in the business that I've been in other than writing. And it, I think I've done well for myself and, and I'm a responsible human being. I have not harmed myself or other people. I have good morals. I have a good head on my shoulders. There are times I'm triggered. Yes. And I'm aware of my triggers and I have done some healing work for my triggers, but people got to watch the crazy thing that just pisses me off because, you know, just because you have had a nice life and have not experienced this. How about having some compassion for people like this? It's just, I don't know. There's so much in the world. I'm very idealistic and wish that, you know, we can all like sit around with flowers and sing Kumbaya, but it's just, I just wish people would just be better to each other and think a little bit more and be a little more considerate. I mean, not necessarily walk on eggshells, but we have to be more aware that what you see is not always what you get. There are things that are happening. And if you heard the stories, whenever I have a book signing, I always have a few people that confide in me because they have nobody else to talk to. And the stories that I've heard, they make mine look like a walk in the park. It's it's horrifying. And I always say, and where is this person that did this to you? Not in jail, never went to jail, never had a charge against them. It's disgusting. What I've come to learn is the people who call you crazy are the ones that are making you crazy. Yeah. Because my ex, oh my goodness, when I first, this should have been a huge red flag. And to all the listeners out there, if you start dating a man and he tells you that all of his exes are crazy, (laughs) fucking run. run (laughs) because you do become crazy. I turned into somebody I didn't even recognize anymore, but it was at his doing. It was a puppet. And oh my God, I'm like, bitch, you made me crazy. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't like that. They call that reactive abuse either, because I think that when I would have a short, it was very rare that I would be bold enough to actually have a fit of anger or rage and blast back at him. And while it happened with my mother and stepfather too, a few times, but that is not reactive abuse. That is not abuse at all. I am reacting, but I am having a normal freaking freaking reaction to somebody being a piece of crap to me and treating me like I am worthless and insignificant and disrespecting my boundaries and all these other things. That is a normal way to react when you have bottled it up, you know, to, for what, to preserve their reputation, to protect them. And yeah, 
it, it, if you push me that far, I am going to defend myself. That is not, I don't like that term reactive abuse. That is reactive. It's some kind of reactive something, but it's a reaction, not abuse. I am not abusing you back. I mean, if you're feeling like you make me feel, I, I'm sorry. I don't, I, I know I'm supposed to like come off as some like wonderful spiritual hero, but good. I hope they feel what I, a little of what I feel. And it's not my intent to go do that. But if I have a little reaction to you, it, it's a reaction. It's normal. That is what normal people do. I'm not going to say you're defending yourself. You. Yeah. It's just upsetting. There's just, a, you know, like I said, even the verbiage has to change. But but yeah, that is the thing. I, I think that you hit the nail on the head with that one, too. You definitely have been through it because most people don't get it unless they've been through it. But yeah, these narcissists, it's so complicated. I mean, there's people that study them for decades, but I don't understand why there isn't some consequence. You know, you, they say they're all, they lack remorse and they have no empathy. Then why are they allowed to be, I mean, there's people, there's rapists and murderers that have remorse. So if you're telling me that all these things are being done to me and you and how many hundreds of thousands or millions of other people and these abusers have no remorse. Why are they getting away with it? Because that scares me. That scares me more than somebody who's a convicted felon that is actually sorry for what they've done and trying to make a better life for themselves. Right. Well, the sad thing and the scary thing is half the time they don't know what they're doing is wrong because it's no. me, me on a pedestal, me, me, me. The world revolves around me. And exactly so everyone's going to do what I want, when I want, how I want. And when it doesn't, they throw a fucking toddler tantrum. And that's the truth. And that's why I have such a big issue around, I think one of my biggest pet peeves with regard to narcissists are, you know, going back to when somebody witnesses a situation as I, you know, I've had things happen to me that people have witnessed, but they don't say anything. They don't do anything. I mean, am I expecting you to, you know, people say, I don't want to get involved, but I mean, looking at somebody and saying, you don't need to speak to her like that. It's very simple. You're not getting involved. You're just, you are setting a boundary for the victim who obviously is afraid to, or unable to, or whatever it is. And I mean, what's your take on that? Why don't people why don't people get involved when they see a family member? Like, for example, I'm thinking of a particular family I know pretty well, where there is a very abusive, nasty narcissist who she runs crap and nobody says anything to her. Everybody knows how she, oh, that's just how she is. Oh, you don't want to upset her. And they tiptoe around her, but nobody challenges her. Why? Why is that? I think either A, because she doesn't do it to them, so they don't get that done to them. It's easier to watch it happen to somebody else than to deal with it yourself. So if Fair. she's sparing that person, then they don't, they don't want to get involved because then what if it turns on me? I've been out of the loop. Now, if I start poking, now it might come towards me and what you're going through doesn't look like fun. So I don't want to play along. It goes back to fear. It goes back to fear. Right, right. Yeah. Or they're just, again, scared. 
but fear. <laughs> yeah. Fear. And I mean, really, you know, people ask me all the time and I had to come up with a quiz for my website of, you know, do, if you think you're, you know, answer these questions to find out if you're with a narcissist, an abusive narcissist or whatever it is. That's my main thing. If you're afraid of somebody, if you're afraid to say something, do something, act a certain way, wear certain clothes. For me, it was afraid to listen to music, afraid to pick up a book and actually read it, afraid. If you there is any fear involved with anybody in your life, uh-uh. You want to talk about a red flag, you got to leave. You got to get out. But I just don't understand these family systems because I feel like, you know, we talk about what's wrong in the world and justice and the system, but it starts on the, on the level of families. If families are enabling other family members to be this way, then they go out in the community and their churches and schools and the workplaces and all that, and they're allowing it there, then everybody in all those places is allowing this person to be that way. And then we get to the bigger scope. And then next thing you know, they're out in the world and like Putin blowing everything up and and causing mass chaos or like Hitler did. And I mean, you know, it's just at at what point, where does it begin and where does it end and what can we do? That's something that we all have to ask ourselves. And I know that's a big question. And most of us will just say, I don't know, and go on with our day. But on a basic level, I, I urge everybody, every listener, everybody everywhere, just start with you. That's all you can do and hope it has a domino effect. You can set boundaries. You can be assertive. You can be direct, speak your mind, but be respectful to people. You know, be kind to other people. Be good to your kids. Kids need discipline. They're not going to like everything you tell them. I know, I know, but you don't have to strangle them and throw them downstairs and tell them that nobody ever wanted them and that they should, you know, nobody's ever going to love them. And if you're an a-hole that is doing that to your wife and your kids and, you know, people got to start putting their foot down. People need to realize the takeaway from it because just because something happened to you when you're young, it doesn't mean, oh, you know, she'll get over it or they won't remember. Yeah. That is a lie. And it literally sets that person up for the rest of their life. And people need to be more accountable for doing this to other people because, I mean, you could literally ruin a person's life or you could make them the next monster. Just don't know. No, you don't know. And like I have said in my book and even, you know, speaking to other people, one of the biggest reasons I wrote this book was not just to create awareness of what narcissistic abuse looks like, but the effect on me. So not just from my childhood, but being in the 25 year relationship with my ex, all of that narcissistic abuse, you know, whether you call it bullying, domestic violence, whatever, even if none of them had ever laid a hand on me, all of those years of living in fight or flight mode pumped so much cortisol which I'll I'll make this a very easy biology lesson. Cortisol is a stress hormone that's kind of the sister hormone to adrenaline. But cortisol is not good for you because they say cortisol pumps through your body as if you were being chased by a lion that wants to eat you in like the jungles of Africa. Literally, they say this. So when you are that scared that cortisol is running through your body as it was for me, And by the way, it took about two or three years of going to different specialists for 
one doctor to finally figure out that that's what the problem was with me. With I had dozens of symptoms, neurological, cardio, uh, cardiovascular, muscular, digestive. I mean, I, I saw every specialist and they all could find stuff wrong, but nothing firm. I was having a lot of autoimmune symptoms as well. It turned out I was having such high cortisol running through my body 24-7 for so many decades that I ended up, you can hear my voice is scratchy, I have a lung disease. It's a very rare lung disease, but it's very common among abuse victims. I have an oxygen machine that I sometimes have to wear, you know, for a long time or for a little time. I get short of breath. You know, they say with COVID, your oxygen levels go to 93% or lower. I've been as low as 83% oxygen at some days. I get the fevers and it, it, so they didn't have to necessarily kill me, but I have to live with this every day. So like you were saying, people say, get over it or move on. Don't linger in the past. I am living with it every fucking day of my life. I am better now. I'm getting better now that I'm safe and my nervous system's starting to relax a little, but it's still something that I will live with every day of my life. But at least I'm still alive because a lot of people don't make it out. But this is what it can do. They can kill you without actually killing you. Because I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. This is all just from abuse, from cortisol. How did they figure that out? Was it a blood test or? There is a test for cortisol. And, you know, the funny thing is, is your cortisol levels vary during the day. So they test five different times of day. And I mean, all during the 24 hour, like I had to wake up in the middle of the night to take it. So my doctor actually sent my test. They had Mayo Clinic do my test. And Mayo Clinic sent the results back and said that they must have compromised the lab sample because there's no way that the results could be what they were. So they had me do a second test and the test results were that high. So just to give you guys an example, um, your levels should be somewhere between 100 and like maybe six to 700, depending on the time of day. Mine were consistently around 2,540 and up 24-7. So if that gives listeners an idea of the fear (laughs) that was in my body all the time for decades, why didn't I call the police? Why did I stay? Because I was freaking scared. That's why. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I think we all sometimes put up with more than we would like to admit that we did. We see the we see the signs on the wall. We see the flags. They're waving, you know, but we lie to ourselves about maybe it'll change. Maybe he will love me the way that I love him or it's just there's so many different things. But yeah. 
And people don't see it either because you're trying to see things. You're trying to look at, you know, because narcissists aren't stupid. They know when they're losing you. Suddenly they promise you everything and they're nice to you for like three days. And that's when they come out with the big guns. And and so you have these bursts. It's not like you stay with somebody who, you know, all this stuff I'm saying, it's not like it was like that all the time. There were signs that he could be good to me and that he loved me and I believed it. But at the same time, I'm looking at it that way. Like you just said, we're trying to see the the better part of it. But what is everyone else seeing? Everyone else is looking at you like you are crazy because he's such a nice guy. Oh, you're so lucky to be married to him. And even like you're looking at me, makeup, hair. I don't look sick, do I? I don't look like I suffer every single day. I don't look like that some days I'm in bed for three days or I cannot breathe. I cannot get breath. I don't look like somebody that has actually passed out because I have been just (laughs) one of the last times I was around my mother and stepfather. They didn't even say anything. It was a look. It was this particular glare my stepfather has that he looked at me and I started shaking and sweating and I... I went home and I blacked out. I passed out. They don't have to touch you. But things look fine. Things look fine. I look fine, don't I? I look great. Yeah. But you You're know beautiful. what? Oh, thank you. I didn't mean it. <laughs> no, but really, you are you are beautiful. See, well, thank you. You're very sweet. But people see something and they don't know what's beneath all that. Just like they see a family showing up to t-ball games with cupcakes and smiling and, you know, having a good time joking with other parents. They don't know what's going on at home. They don't know what's really going on. Everything's a facade. And we all put on a show. We all accuse the narcissists of wearing a mask. But you know what? When you're married to one, you put it on too. Oh, you know what? I like that because that is so true. I like that. I don't like that, but I like Yeah, I was going to say, I don't like <laughs> but it's true. I mean, I had often said I didn't like the person he turned me into. I ended up being just as, by the end, just as manipulative and deceitful as he was. And, and that wasn't fair to me because that wasn't who I was, so... On the upside, you're smiling, I'm smiling, we're laughing. People need to know if they are in a situation, you know, whatever kind of domestic situation they're in, whether it's a parent relationship, romantic, whatever, or if it is, you know, a friend relation, whatever it is, I understand you you can't leave or get out until you feel 100% comfortable doing that and safe, most importantly, safe. But there is a good life waiting for you. It doesn't always, I know that I never thought in a million years I'd ever get out. Life would never be okay. I think I had that victim mentality, but life can be very, very different. It can be very different. It does not have to be the way it is forever. It it can be different. And something else I like to point out is when you are in that environment, it's very negative. Yeah. So everything around you is going to feel negative. As yes. soon as you can separate yourself from that, start to really start the self-love, self-healing process 
holy shit, like the the clouds open up, the sun starts shining, and more positivity starts to flow into your life. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Because again, that goes back to me not liking who he turned me into because honestly, I was a miser I was miserable. And I mean they say misery loves company. I didn't want anyone to be miserable like me, but I was constantly surrounded by it. So it was just like I just didn't have a good attitude about anything. This is sucks. Nothing's ever gonna be okay, you know. I tried to be positive for my son. So at least I had him to kind of, I could switch it on when I needed to. But yeah, I'll tell you what, when I got out, somebody, I, it's like I got out of jail. When I got <laughs> out, <laughs> you know, somebody said to me, man, it's like you were a wild animal that's been caged and now you're free. But you know what? I was, it was like somebody opened the door to a trap And I looked out and I wasn't sure, is it okay? Is it okay for me to be out? Is it okay for me to do this? And then I'm like stepping out and like, oh, it is. It's going to be okay. I can actually wear something I want to wear and I can have a favorite color and a favorite song and I can eat what I want for dinner. And these sound very, it sounds like I'm being sarcastic, but I mean... I couldn't listen to that CD. I couldn't watch that TV program. I couldn't see that person. Well, guess what? Now I'm doing whatever the fuck I want to do. And it feels good. And my husband, I mean, like I said, I've known him for years and and his family. So, I mean, thank God that I didn't have to do like all that courtship and dating and all this meet the family crap. But he's such a good man. He just kind of just sets me free, like lets me be me, you know? He probably doesn't agree with some things or doesn't like some things, but it doesn't bother him because I'm me. And he understands like like a reasonable person should that we are all made up of strengths, weaknesses, flaws, you know, positive things. We're 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 all very complex beings, but we should be free to be who we are and accepted for who we are as a whole, not just for the good parts of us or, and not criticized or judged for the bad parts, you know, or, or the parts that let's say need improvement, but it's a beautiful thing. I mean, there are times that I've even with him felt like, well, aren't you going to tell me no? Or like, no, he just, it, it, I'm free. I'm, I, I literally am free. It is like being freed from prison. But it's a wonderful, liberating feeling that you don't know what to do with at first, but you get used to it. And then you just go crazy and live it up and do everything you always wanted to do, which is what I'm doing. But it's it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. I'm so happy that you found that and that you are now living your best life. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we just, you know. There were so many things, like I said, that I couldn't do. I get to read books now. I write books. I travel. He never wanted me to go anywhere and he never wanted to travel with me. So now, you know, my husband is so sweet. He, he He's not much into traveling either, but we go all over, all over the world. So it's amazing. I love it. I'll be your travel buddy. <laughs> I'm always game. <laughs> I've got a list. I don't think I don't. I have a list of places that I can't just be okay seeing on YouTube. I have to actually go there. 
So I've got Australia, Ireland, Italy. I've got a few places to hit. And Ooh, there's all a- those are on mine too. <laughs> yes, we'll have we'll create a group event. <laughs> we can all wear t-shirts that said like I survived a narcissist or something. <laughs> oh my god, yes. I love this idea. The narcissist travel group. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We could actually maybe make that a thing. I'm not even lying. They do this shit with everything nowadays. I really do. I actually had a friend that said, she goes, we should go on like a, have like a club, like, um, what did she call it? Oh, she said, we should have a bad mother's club and go on a cruise. And I said, that would be weird wearing t-shirts that said bad mother's club because it would look like it's us and we're we're referring to our mothers. Like <laughs> I'm like, we gotta rethink this a little bit. But yes, we should all travel in groups and spread our positivity and and let everybody know what we've been through and where we're going and what we won't tolerate. It'll be fun. <laughs> I love that idea. Where can well, people I'm find game. the book? What's that? Oh, where can we buy the book? Um, yes. Right now, Amazon, um, you can get the ebook or the print book. I have applied to have it sold in Barnes and Nobles and Books a Million and all the big stores, but I'm waiting because I didn't know when you're in, for anyone that wants to write a book, you actually have to apply and write essays. It's like a college application to have your book put on shelves of stores. So we're working on that. But in the meantime, everybody's on Amazon. You can go to my website as well, but anywhere books are sold. If you are a Barnes and Noble person, it's on their website, Walmart's website, it's everywhere. You just can't get the print book unless you go, I think, to Amazon. So, And I'll put links in the show notes to your email and to the book from Amazon. Yeah, and I'm on all social media. So if anyone wants to message me, I have had many readers message me with questions or just personal stories or even just like, I'm having a bad day and I'll send you a smiley face and a heart and wish I could hug you. But I do actually personally respond to anything that is sent my way. I may not do so in a timely way because some of us are in different uh in different time zones, but I do respond to everybody. So I encourage everyone to reach out if they need anything. Yeah, I will have those resources available. Was there anything else you wanted to add? No, I think that would be it. All right. Well I really enjoyed having you, Dana. So thank you so much for being here. It was a lot of fun. We'll have to definitely work on that that round the world trip, I guess. Yes, I'm going to seriously brainstorm. And if I think of things, I'm going to send them your way. <laughs> Please do. I'd like to do like Australia, Australia or Italy next. I think we should, you know, do something big if we're going to do it. I don't want to go to like Oklahoma or something. I mean, I'm sure we're <laughs> but you know, if we're going to do this, let's like do it. <laughs> I love that. Yes. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you know somebody who could really use this episode, please share it with them. Unfortunately, narcissists are a dime a dozen nowadays, and it's time we take our power back. Please make sure to like, follow, subscribe. Make sure that you find me on your socials. Her links will also be at the bottom of the show notes. You can always head to crimeovercocktails.com or theCrimeConnection.org 
my nonprofit, helping other trauma and narcissist survivors get the help that they need. All right, that's it for tonight's show, you guys. We'll talk crime another time. Bye.